Providing a family-oriented company culture where the benefits of a corporate system and organization still exist has been a differentiator for Pearl Healthcare as the nursing home operator continues to grow throughout its regional footprint. Starting in 2018, Pearl has acquired a majority of its six facilities in the last year. Pearl doesn't take a cookie-cutter approach to operations as every facility and market has different needs and functions differently, even when currently only operating in one state, according to CEO Eton Zephrin. Most of the operators, corporate and regional teams also work out of facilities each day instead of sticking to one corporate office. It's another way Zephyrin has looked to build strong relationships with leaders from the top down in hopes of boosting morale and retention. I spoke with Zephyrin more on the importance of thinking local when operating skilled nursing facilities, how Pearl has worked to build trust with members of the community, staff, and acute care partners as a relatively new operator and more. Before we get to that conversation, I'd like to highlight an upcoming event. On December 1st, Skilled Nursing News and Aging Media are presenting the inaugural Continuum Conference. This event will bring together executives from across Aging Media's publications, including Skilled Nursing, Home Health, Senior Living, Behavioral Health, and Hospice. Learn from peers outside your network and build new relationships. Request an invitation to this exclusive in-person event in Arlington, Virginia, by sending an email to events at agingmedia.com. CMS is well underway in its development of a minimum staffing standard for nursing facilities. During a recent stakeholder listening session, officials indicated that they would be focusing at least the study on nursing positions like RNs, LPNs, and CNAs. What are your thoughts on this narrow definition at this point, and do you think the caregiver definition needs to be expanded when looking at staffing minimums? Well, I do think, you know, we all know that staffing plays a extremely important role in the quality of care provided uh, at the facility level. My concern in general with the minimum staffing um, standards for facilities is the obvious concern of of the next step in that becoming more punitive in nature. Obviously, we're looking to work collaboratively with the government agencies to be able to come up with creative ways to improve staffing levels at the facilities, uh, as well as just to get more people and more volume out in the workforce. So that's kind of the general, I would say, underlying concern with any of these minimum standards that are getting put in place. In terms of the caregiver definition, you know, there are a lot of other people in the, at the facility site that do play a, a, a major factor in patient care um, between therapy, activities, RAs, uh, resident assistants that you know, that I think should be factored into the equation in terms of level of care that's being provided to our residents. So although I do understand the, you know, the goal of CMS and putting this into place, however, I do think that the the facilities should be looked at from a, a more broader view of patient care being delivered and what and who uh, contributes to that, which I think does expand beyond specifically our nurses and CNAs. Gotcha. That makes sense. That makes sense. And so sticking with the staffing topic here, uh, I know Pearl Healthcare, like many operators, has worked hard to recruit and retain staff. And specifically, Pearl has looked to partner with CNA schools to offer on-site training for the position. How is that program going and why was that a particularly important tool for you guys? The program has been really exciting. We have Love the opportunity to bring new people who are excited and passionate about 
healthcare and about long-term care into the into our work environment and into our facilities. Uh, so it's it's really proven to be a uh, a beneficial program both for the students and for for our residents and the company. I think that we've seen a lot of excitement and enthusiasm from those folks that are you know just joining uh, this industry. Uh, it also allows us to really set our expectations very early on uh, with our students and and to work together with the with those that are work you know running the program within our facilities to ensure that they are understanding the level of care that we want to provide both from the care standpoint but also from a customer service standpoint professionalism it allows us really to you know when you're part of that training process you are really able to make us more significant impact on how they are going to conduct themselves uh, within within their facility. So we've really just loved that opportunity, and uh, we've seen you know we've seen some really positive impact from it in terms of helping our general staffing and uh, and increasing our uh, staffing levels throughout the facility. So it's been a great program thus far, and we're looking forward to to expanding it out to over to the rest of the portfolio. You know, as the next year or so. Uh, comes along. Yeah, that makes sense. And it, and it also makes sense considering that, you know, I know a lot of facilities are, are struggling with trying to, to get their TNAs certified and, and to be a part of these programs and having to outsource them with the, with the shortages that exist on that front. So being able to do it in-house, I'm sure has a lot of benefits. How significant has it been in terms of having additional staffing? You may not have a number on hand, but uh, I'm just kind of curious how much it's boosted staff in terms of being able to do this in-house and, and get that program going. I can't give you a, a number off the top of my head. However, I can tell you that it has allowed us to, in the buildings that we're running it, it has uh, allowed us to remain agency-free, which has been our ultimate goal. In that way, we're able to really have a much a stronger impact on the quality of care that we're delivering in the facilities. So that has been, I think, a key factor in being able to maintain that and keep agency out of those facilities. Um, and and we see, you know, we see the impact of that. It has, you know, not only does it help the morale of the facility and the rest of the staff, the continuity of care is is huge. And you know, those uh, staff members, those employees taking care of the same patients day in, day out, obviously is a huge benefit. They're able to learn the residents and, and understand what their baselines are. And it allows them to better assess if there are changes with them. And if, they, if there's any sort of uh, altered mental status or anything that's going on with them that seems out of the ordinary, their ability to pick up on that is just so much better and quicker uh, considering that they know you know, the residents in our buildings and have that consistency. So to give you an exact number, I, I would have to confirm. I don't know off the top of my head, but I do know that it has consist. It has been able to provide us with a steady flow, uh, which has uh, in return allowed us to continue to remain agency free in those buildings, which is uh, a huge feat in today's day and age. Absolutely. That does sound like a big impact. Um, so, you know, obviously CMS recently has kind of opened up the doors to allow providers more time to certify TNAs, uh, offering waivers to facilities as well as counties and states. I'm just kind of curious, how does 
how does this all play in the parole healthcare's plans? And does parole intend to apply for any waivers at any of its facilities to get some extra time? So we're actually not applying for any waivers. When we were looking ahead at this program being discontinued, we had already essentially planned for that. So we were already anticipating and kind of phasing that program out within our facilities. So we're kind of at a point now where we've essentially discontinued it, you know, with the understanding that this was going to eventually be removed. You know, had we known that it was going to continue longer, it would have probably been something that we would have looked to continue. Uh, But we just went and kind of focused on other directions because at the end of the day, this was always rolled out as a temporary program. And we were looking, you know, not only for temporary solutions, but for more long-term fixes. And we, we kind of refocused our energy and attention on how we can, you know, get people to, to join our CNA schools, those programs, other ways to incentivize and attract staff into our buildings um, outside of the TNA program. Although I think it was a wonderful program, I think it really helped bridge the gap in, in many for many facilities, including ours, for certain timeframes. But but given that we were anticipating this to be removed and discontinued, we had kind of essentially phased that out of our facilities for the most part. Gotcha. So let's take a brief step back and talk a little bit about your journey into this role as CEO. Uh, How did you get into healthcare and work your way up the career ladder? I've actually grown up in healthcare. I've been surrounded by um, mentors and and people that I look up to greatly and, and, and role models that have all really played a part in healthcare. You know, my father is a physician. My mother is a therapist by trade. Um, so, you know, it's always been a common conversation in our household as it, it was healthcare. I knew that I was extremely interested in it. I had other family that that was uh, in the long-term care space and my grandfather uh, for many years as well. So it was something that was, you know, truly comforting to me. I knew that I wanted to, to be a part of it. I always had uh, more of an inclination to the business side of things versus going more or less the, the medical route. So, you know, perfect marriage between the two uh, for me was was really going into the long-term care industry. I felt there was a great need, you know, obviously with the baby boomer population, uh, the need was only going to increase. And uh, I knew I wanted to be a part of it and be able to impact it in a positive way. So it was, uh, it was really a natural progression for me just from a very early, an early age. My first position uh, in long-term care was AIT, an administrator in training, which was a great program. It allowed me to work in every department, almost every department, I should say, within the facility between laundry, housekeeping, dietary, admissions, business office, HR, which really gave you that, that hands-on experience and that ability to really learn the operations of a, of a facility from inside out. Uh, so I, I was, uh, I was doing that for a little over a year in a full intensive program and then had the opportunity to, to take the exams, get licensed as an administrator and take over 
the administrator role, my first facility. And I would say that was probably of everything, my biggest learning, my biggest learning experience, just, you know, really jumping into the role and, you know, you can learn from the sidelines, but learning, you know, in real life and doing it, you know, day to day is, uh, is truly what that was the best education for me. So that was my first, um, administrator position. And then from there, I had uh, the opportunity to to move within that company laterally to a, another administrator position in a completely different market and different uh, style facility, which was a, mo- a lot more uh, short-term rehab focused. I'd say it was primarily subacute, so you know residents that would come in post-surgical and a lot of elective surgeries. They would come for a very short stay. Uh, it was a very high-end you know, beautiful facility and, you know, different than I would say, you know, most of uh, the traditional long-term care facilities that we're used to today. So it was a, it was a totally different experience than the first that I had had. And uh, from there I had moved into uh, more of a regional oversight role where I was uh, able to oversee multiple facilities and assist the administrator um, and their teams in, in the buildings and just, that was obviously more of a bird's eye view from an operational standpoint in terms of uh, how to operate. So that was something, you know, I think that really helped me get prepared for the role that I'm in today. You know, it's very different when you are the administrator versus when you are, you know, slightly removed from the facility or outside the facility and have to direct those administrators and their staff um, it's just something that is a different leadership style and it, and it obviously, you obviously need to adjust to that. So that's something that I really, uh, I think I gained a lot from. And then from there, that is really when I had the opportunity to take on my first building from an ownership standpoint. And, uh, that was back in 2018 and, uh, Pearl Healthcare was born at that point. So. It was a facility that after having toured multiple facilities prior to that, I knew pretty much shortly after walking through that, that this was a, the right fit for me. It was in a market that I was very comfortable with and I had some pre-existing relationships with. Additionally, it was, you know, a facility that I felt really comfortable in terms of the struggles that they were having to be able to increase you know, their efficiencies and be able to help grow census, improve care. You know, we implemented a lot of new clinical programs. Um, We increased our relationships with the hospital. So it was something that I felt really comfortable doing. And uh, it was a building I was really excited about that I felt was a real diamond in the rough and had a tremendous amount of potential that was just untapped. So that was really how our journey started. Yeah, and you guys have certainly hit the ground running since. Uh, I know as a relatively newer operator who has acquired most of your facilities in the last year, uh, how have you worked to build trust with members of the community, staff, and and your acute care partners? I think that's that's really something that we try and get started bef- long before we enter into the market. I try and identify the key individual players in those markets between the hospitals and the community itself to really try and hear from them, listen from them, uh, understand the history of 
of the facility, how they, how they see it and really understand the reputation, whether it's positive or negative. And if it is negative, why that is and what we can do to give it a fresh start and improve upon it. So we do, I would say we, we try and do less talking and more listening in the beginning, to be honest, because, you know, you can guess and hypothesize from today to tomorrow what that community needs and what the facility should look like. But really the best people to tell you that are your community partners, your hospitals, your referral sources. Um, so listening to them is honestly what we try and do the most of in those beginning conversations and those beginning meetings. And from there, we look to try and develop programs that cater to the needs that, that they're expressing. You know, there are sometimes specific clinical programs or in some markets we've gone into, there were, uh, the hospital was having, you know, difficulty placing a certain type of patient population that had, you know, that didn't have, a you know, strong financial capabilities to pay uh, for services. And we, you know, worked with the hospitals and to be able to care for those patients and contract directly with our hospital partners. So that's, that's, these are kind of the things that we do to really uh, enhance those relationships. And, and it's, it's proven to be a great way to, to start. And honestly, they, they appreciate knowing that you're actually listening. So after you do take that, take those, um, those meetings and get a good understanding of what the needs are, the second part is obviously implementing it and putting those into action. So if they can see that you're, that you're walking the walk, uh, that's how those relationships are not only built, but maintained. And um, I think we do, you know, we try and put a lot of focus on that. Additionally, the facilities are, I find, are the biggest promoters of your company and your brand, and that being obviously your staff. So anytime we go into a new facility or a new acquisition, we, we put a, a significant amount of that focus internally and into our staff um, have them really understand our culture, understand our our goals and our missions as a facility, and they end up becoming strong promoters of the facility. And a lot of those staff live in those markets that you're catering to. I'd say a majority of them do. And when you walk into a facility and you feel that the staff are engaged and enthused by what's going on there, uh, you can you can tell pretty pretty quickly. So. You know, putting a strong focus on that initial employee engagement and having them feel not only a part of the process but excited to be a part of that process is something that we uh, we put a lot of weight on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to do that work on the front end, as I uh, assume, and it sounds like from what you're saying that it does really help on that back end of being proactive and making sure that you know all the different stakeholders, including your own staff, know what you guys are all about and that you're. Uh, willing to listen to kind of what they're seeing and thinking as well. I was hoping you could share more with our listeners about Pearl's uh, family-oriented company culture and in what ways that has benefited your fairly quick growth. Our company culture is is to take you know the best of both worlds. We want to take our goal is to is to be able to provide the the systems and the organization uh, that one would find in a in a much larger scale 
operation. But the family approach and that that family environment that you would find in a small mom and pop. So, you know, it's not always the easiest to accomplish, but that's that's our goal. Our goal is to be able to have a perfect marriage between the two. You know, in the way that we've done that, you know, thus far and that we hope to continue to infuse into our facilities, you know, is really is really having that come from from our regional and our corporate team and they feel that those people that are part of our team, they infuse the facilities and, and the interactions that they have at the building level with uh, an immense amount of support. They understand the facilities and the challenges that they deal with. They, uh, they empathize with it, but we also don't have an extremely top-down approach. Our corporate team and our regional support are very much in the trenches with our buildings. So they're in our buildings every single day. Uh, they don't work out of a remote office. Uh, I would say for a good majority of them, about 80% of them don't even have remote offices. They're working out of buildings every single day alongside our administrators, alongside our directors of nursing. And that's really how you build strong relationships with your leaders. Uh, so when they feel that, you know, that level of support from our staff who represent us as a company at large, our corporate staff, it becomes clear to them that that's the type of relationship we want them to build with their staff in their buildings. And it's, uh, you know, that that message really has to come from the top. So we we put a lot of heavy focus on how our corporate team, you know, deal and handle with our with our buildings and our leaders in our building. And we and we do expect that they're they're working alongside them, you know, figuring out issues together, you know, and helping walk them through these, you know, the various tasks or or policies or systems that they're working on together. And I think that that has uh, that creates a strong bond and that kind of family, you know, environment. Additionally, we we like to have a lot of fun, you know, in 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 the off times. We we work very hard, and it's a very, you know, there are there are definitely stressful days in this uh, in this environment and in this industry. So we really try and balance it heavily with with recognizing our staff and the and the hard work that they do. We we promote that type of uh, culture in our facilities. We want them to have, you know, parties and celebrate um, successes. We want them to be able to to recognize each other for, you know, work anniversaries or promotions or whatever those opportunities are to get together and have a good time. We put a lot of emphasis on that. And honestly, we try and attend, you know, as much as possible to be, so they know that it is important to us that they're not only working very hard, but that they're enjoying the places that they work and that they and that they feel um, excited to come to work, and they know that they're they're recognized and appreciated. So that those are those are a lot of the the ways that we infuse that uh, that family feel without tr- without losing our ability to to have strong systems and and an organized uh, operation. So there's no reason, in my opinion, why you can't have you know both. You can really run a strong, uh, structured organization and have, you know, systems that are, that are pretty organized and, and, and 
um, same from facility to facility without losing that family feel and becoming uh, too much of a of a, a corporate environment, if you will. Yeah, that makes sense. And so let's switch gears just a little bit here. I was hoping you know you could describe to me how this year, twenty twenty two, has been thus far for Pearl. And, you know, if you anticipate the operating environment to get better or worse. This year has, um, I think it's been a really interesting year. You're, you're coming off a lot of what we dealt with during COVID, both good and bad. You know, bad in terms of, you know, the severity of the outbreaks we were dealing with, the, the level of harshness that facilities were, um, were running into from the regulatory bodies. You know, and the good that that a lot of facilities benefited from, which was you know the stimulus and and other funding that that this industry has never seen in the past. So I think it's been um, an adjustment across the board, uh, learning to operate in an, in a COVID environment that hasn't truly gone away, um, although it has you know diminished, it still very much exists. So adjusting to that new normal. And also kind of, you know, regrouping and, and going back to the, to the old days where, you know, you couldn't rely on stimulus and other sort of uh, financial aid to help during those, you know, downtimes or, or low census trends. So I think, you know, it, it has been challenging in that, in that respect, obviously coupled with the fact that the staffing challenges of this year have been, you know, at least from our from our standpoint, uh, probably the most challenging since uh, since we've been in the market. So I think we're first, you know, finally seeing over these last couple of months a significant rebound in in the staffing levels in our buildings and and the and the interest from applicants and and other people to to join this industry, but. Uh, I would say overall, it has definitely had its host of challenges, you know, between between those adjustments for sure. So it sounds like you're saying that um, you expect things to to improve over the course of the next several months as we round out 2022. Absolutely, I think I think the second quarter of this year was speaking to other operators was a was a challenging quarter, but you know the third quarter has already seemed to rebound a lot, you know, census wise, as well as, like I said, staffing is just um, getting healthier in facilities. They're relying less on agency that they did earlier in the year. So we're undoubtedly seeing a, a, a tremendous upward trend. And it's, you know, it's something that we knew would level out and we knew that would that there would be that light at the end of the tunnel. But when you're kind of going through it in the thick of it, it's obviously... Um, you know, challenging, but we're very optimistic for how this year is is going as of you know the last couple of months, as well as how we anticipate this going for the for the course of the rest of 2022. Definitely. And uh, looking ahead, some more to the future. If you could envision the nursing home of the future, what what do you think it would look like? It's a great question, and you know we think about. We do think about that all the time because we are always looking for opportunities to develop uh, something new and exciting that hasn't been done before and something a little bit more disruptive 
in an industry that hasn't changed all that much. So, you know, the way that I kind of, you know, see our industry at large moving is we've become, you know, many would say mini hospitals, you know, compared to what nursing homes and long-term care facilities we're dealing with from a clinical standpoint and in a, a patient acuity standpoint 10, 15 years ago looks very different than, than today. Uh, so I think we're, the expectations are for us to be able to care for patients that have higher clinical needs. And because of that, it's, it's I think, going to push our industry to be more self-sufficient within the four walls of the facility. So to me, if you know what a a futuristic facility looks like is a facility that is able to to run all of its ancillaries, if you will, outside of the facility between the X-ray capabilities, pharmacies, lab work. Those are things that you know in today's market, today's day and age, we have to you know wait and work with third parties. Uh, to come in and provide those services. Obviously, the financial constraints that exist right now make it somewhat impossible to be able to do all of those things internally. But I think if, uh, if we continue to see the industry shift in this way that we are taking higher acuity patients and we still have those expectations of, of keeping um, our patients out of the hospital and avoiding unnecessary hospitalizations, then to me, the, the natural next step is to be able to do more uh, at the facility level, you know, and to be able to do it quicker. So those are some areas where I think, you know, we're going to see uh, facilities in the future really looking at creative ways to do that. I, th- I think that you're, you're already seeing and you're going to continue to see a lot more technology popping up that creates just a level of efficiency that we haven't really had in this, you know, in this space. So, you know, taking long hours, you know, that are, that are wasted on, on different clerical items without, you know, throughout the facility or things that really pull your clinical staff away from patient care that we're seeing technologies be able to come in now and relieve our staff of that. I think those are are huge opportunities that we're, always looking, always exploring, having tons of conversations, webinars, demos, just to be able to sift through all the, you know, exciting startups and different, you know, softwares that are that are out there that can relieve our staff from from doing work that pulls them away from patient care. So those efficiencies I think we're gonna see a lot coming in the, you know, in the coming years. Some areas where we've brought in what I think are some, you know, really cool new developments. Uh, this space are like continuous vital monitoring, which is something that historically was reserved for the ICU, but we are now able to provide that inside our facilities. We're able to provide dialysis in our facilities, much more higher and complex pulmonary care, higher flow oxygen, things that we were never able to do in the past. We're already seeing now, and I think it's going to continue in that direction. Yeah, it sounds like you're talking about a lot of increased clinical capabilities, which goes back to what the statements that you were talking about, where you know it seems like the nursing homes are increasingly becoming mini hospitals. Yeah, exactly. 
So, um, you know, if you had CMS in the room right now, I know we've spoke a little bit about some of the, the policies that they've implemented, and we're all aware about the various on- ongoings that are happening on that front. What are three things that you would tell them about Pearl and the nursing home industry as a whole? Well, one thing I would say, you know, if one positive thing that could come out from COVID for the long-term care industry, I think it would be the fact that uh, for the first time, you know, despite when you kind of comb through all the negative, you know, chatter and PR, it was the, the first time that I think we saw a lot of positivity in terms of what the facility and their staff were doing in the front lines of care. So I think, you know, our hospitals, our communities, everyone really rallied together to support the facilities and their staff. And, you know, we saw banners in, you know, waving in front of every facility, heroes work here. You know, the fact that patients were were getting cared for in the scariest of times for from from staff that really were putting their, you know, their lives at risk. I think that spoke a lot for the 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 passion that is in this industry and the long-term care and also the necessity for it and how how crucial of a role it plays, you know, in that fragile population. So, you know, I think CMS, you know, should know and should see um and and learn from that experience that, you know, our company along with the rest of the industry have really, you know, stepped up and proven that, that we, we are prepared to go above and beyond. And we, you know, our staff do it every single day. And that's something that I think is very vital to the overall healthcare system and shouldn't be, you know, taken for granted. I think secondly, progression from that is we, I think as an industry have to look at banding together with our regulatory bodies and and the regulatory bodies you know banding with us not looking at a at a us first them type of mentality that seems to have existed for you know a long time but working more collaboratively with the providers to come up with solutions to the problems we're that we're dealing with you know as an industry i know that you know sometimes these rules or regulations or different you know, ideas, if you will, are kind of just presented to us as it is what it is. But I think if CMS uh, can pull those providers into those conversations at an earlier stage, have them be part of the solution, I think that's what, that's where you'll actually make some really significant progress because you have to really understand what's going on at the at the at the facility levels. You have to hear from operators where their pain points are. You can't really solve a problem and come up with a, a viable solution without truly understanding what the problem is and what the source of those issues are. So if we kind of change the atmosphere and the relationship uh, to something that's more collaborative, I think then we'll start really seeing some some positive impact, positive change, you know, and, and real solutions to, to some of the problems that we, you know, deal with. And third, you know, star ratings, you know, the constant changes that we deal with are are sometimes very difficult to understand. I think that there's also a lot of weight that's put on them that doesn't necessarily give facilities a, a, a fair shot or it's truly indicative of the care that's provided. So I think that that is one area where CMS and facilities uh, should be able to work more together to come up with a system that I think can be a little bit more 
reflective of, of true care that's being provided in the facilities and not, not something that, that can put facilities in a situation that they have to dig themselves out of a hole uh, because of uh, a particular issue or, or one bad survey or different things that facilities have to deal with that, that have a significant financial impact. Um, I think that it's a system that keeps, keeps changing and there's always something different that factors into how facilities are rated or star rated and what that truly means. So I think that that's something, you know, really has to greatly improve. In yeah, I can imagine that it would be somewhat head spinning to contend with the constant, what feels like constant changes that are ongoing with the five-star rating system, especially those that have happened in the recent couple of months. Yeah, absolutely. That's all we have for this episode of Rethink. Be sure to visit skillednursingnews.com for the latest insights and industry news and subscribe to Rethink to be notified when new episodes are released. Available now on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and SoundCloud. I'm Jordan Ryland for Skilled Nursing News. Thanks for listening. 